Good morning. Last night, <clears throat> so I'm watching out for all of you that were there last night at Lake and Annan's wedding. I know a handful of y'all didn't get back until after midnight, so hopefully there's no one falling asleep in the service today. But last night, man, was so much fun getting to celebrate Lake and Anna as, uh, man, we, we've got to see them date um, on, on Summerlink 2021, and now we're, we're getting to uh, see them as a married couple. And when, we, when they get back, man, just to see the gospel displayed through their relationship, to see our, our church come around them and love them, care for them, serve them, and continue to do ministry right alongside of them. What a joy it is. It's always fun to celebrate what the Lord is doing in our people's lives. This morning, we're going to continue our study through the book of Exodus. I'm picking up in Exodus 15, 22, and we'll go through the first part of chapter 17. A question to begin with. What is your first response when things don't go your way? When your expectations aren't being met, what's your first response? Many of us, myself included, complain when we don't get our way. A lot of times when we don't get our way, we, we really revert back to children, complaining, questioning, quarreling. My steak wasn't cooked right. It wasn't medium rare. It was a bit medium for my taste. The car in front of me is in the left lane, and they are going so slow. They're only going 15 over the speed limit. My kids are acting crazy. My husband leaves his clothes everywhere. My neighbors are so loud. When things don't go our way, how do you respond? Grumbling, complaining, quarreling. Today in our passage in 15, 16, and 17, we're going to see three stories where things don't go the way the people think they should. And instead of turning to God in trust and dependence, they grumble against their, their leaders and ultimately against God. Let, let's just set the scene for a moment where we are in Exodus. Exodus opens up with the, with the Israelites in captivity, in bondage in Egypt. They cry out to God. God raises up a mediator, raises up a deliverer for them in the person of Moses. Moses goes and, and pleads with Pharaoh, let my people go. Time and time again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. God hardens his heart. And he says, no, I'm not letting you go. Plague after plague, after plague comes for one purpose, to display the power of God to Egypt and to the nations surrounding them, for them to proclaim that the Lord is here and that he is mighty to save. Again, rejection, rejection, rejection. Meanwhile, the people are in Goshen. They're in this, they're in this area where it's not being plagued. They're not being impacted by the plagues. They're seeing the Egyptians impacted over and over again. Then we get to this Passover meal where they're told, hey, if you will slaughter a lamb and put the blood above the door and on the doorposts, when I come, I will pass over your homes so that your firstborns will not be killed. Will not be killed. 
although all the Egyptian houses will be impacted. The firstborn sons and the firstborn of the animals will be slaughtered. They witness this with their eyes. They hear with their ears the screaming, the crying from every home. They're told, okay, pack up. It's time to go. They make their way. They make their way to the Red Sea. They are, man, they are on every side. They're being impacted. The sea here, the Egyptians now are coming. And God gets in between the Egyptians and the Israelites and says, Moses, stretch out your staff and I will part the water. Right in front of them, the sea is parted. And they can cross on dry ground. They cross on dry ground. They get to the other side. The Egyptians come with their army, with their chariots, with their horses. And they're walking across. And they see this. God encloses them, envelops them, swallows them up with this water. The Israelites are seeing all of this. They continue to see this time and time again. And then our text picks up today in chapter 15. Three days after the Red Sea crossing. Three days. As we progress through this text today, there's an exhortation, a big idea I want us to take away, and it's trust the Lord in the wilderness. Trust the Lord in the wilderness. One commentator said, the Israelites are about to go to Wilderness University. They're about to learn how to trust God in the wilderness. You see, the Red Sea crossing, as Caleb said last week, is really this salvific point where God delivers them from the Egyptians through the water. He saves them. And now 40 years are going to pass. And they're going to be sanctified. Many of them will never even taste the promised land because of their rebellion. But this wilderness is a time of sanctification It is Wilderness University. Let us trust the Lord in the wilderness. Let's begin with this first story in 15, 22 to 27. If you don't have a Bible, man, we're going to be going through the scriptures pretty quickly today. I would encourage you to grab one. Yes, they'll be up there. But put your nose in the word. Um, They're right in front of you. We're on page 54. I think we'll be on 54 and 55 today. So 15, 22 to 27. Listen to what Moses writes. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went, in, they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, And do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Let's read. Let's pray. Father, we we give you praise for this day. Father, we, as we just sang, I surrender all. Lord, now we, with, with palms open, hands up. God, we, we say, speak. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give us insight into your word? Would you 
Would you exhort us where we need to be exhorted? Would you rebuke us where we need to be rebuked? Father, we want to look more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So as we progress through this passage today, we're going to see three problems the people face. And as you probably already know, the people are going to fail in each one of these, right? Problem, failure, problem, failure, problem, failure. There's, a, there's an emphasis on their grumbling. There's an emphasis on their lack of trust in the Lord to provide. The people are just beginning their wilderness journey. It lasts 40 years, and they have a choice to make, to grumble or to trust. As believers in Christ, we are on a wilderness journey as well, waiting for that day when we will enter the promised land, our eternal home with the Lord. How, why can we say this? Why can, we, why can we look at our time on earth as a wilderness journey? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 3 actually connects our Christian life to the Israelites in the wilderness. And what he does in there, he, he's quoting Psalm 95, 8, 9, where the psalmist is remembering what happened in the wilderness right here in this passage we're going to look at today. And, and what the writer does in Hebrews, he actually warns his audience not to harden their hearts like the Israelites did in Massa and Meribah. We'll see that in chapter 17. You see, he's connecting this for us because he wants us to understand we're going through trials. We're going through tests. And we'll, uh, the, the question is, will you pass? Will you pass the test on this road to sanctification, this road to becoming more like Jesus? We're on a wilderness journey. The earth is not our home. We are aliens and strangers. We're foreigners in this place. So we must live each day trusting the Lord until we see him face to face. And believer, for you, this is good news. There will come a time to the end of this groaning, of this journey, of this weeping and wailing and sinful life. There will come a time where that will end. Jesus will return or we will die and we'll be face to face with our creator. As we journey in the wilderness, will you choose to trust or will you choose to grumble? As we work through these three stories here, these, these three problems that arise, these three uh, failures that we see by the Israelites, I want to I convince you by seeing who the Lord is, three reasons why he's trustworthy. Three reasons why he is trustworthy and why we should trust him. The first is trust the Lord who heals. Trust the Lord who heals. Chapter 15, 22 to 27. And the neat thing about each of these stories, we're going to see them. They, they, they really are uh, similar in how they progress. As, as I read 15, 22 to 27, I'm sure you picked up on this. There's a problem. There's a response. There's a test. There's a provision. And then there's a truth. There's a truth. So, 15, 22 to 27, the problem. They don't have any water. There's no water. That's what it said. They're three days out. Can you imagine going three days without water? 
right? Running out of water in the wilderness as you're trekking along with, with your family, with your animals. Right? There's, there's reason here for grumbling. So three days had passed since the Lord brought salvation to the people. They came to a new place and they found no water. They're thirsty and then they see water. Just think about this. I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. There's water. You get to the water and you dip it in and it's bitter. It's bitter to the taste. They can't drink it. What is going on? God, God, you've rescued us. Why now have you let us out here to die? What is their response? It's grumbling. Three days has passed since they sang the song of praise, the song of Moses. Now, in these three chapters, chapters, we're going to see a song of grumbling. Easily turned, expectations not met, what I wanted didn't happen, what I expected didn't happen. Song of praise now is a song of grumbling. They grumble. Where does grumbling come from? How many of y'all can relate to grumbling? You don't have to raise your hand. All right, you raise your hand. Cool. Gotcha. No. Where does grumbling come from, right? Like, I understand it. I grumble, I question. Where does it come from? One, one guy said, it arises from an attitude of dissatisfaction. It's inner discontent. Paul is quick to warn us, so is Jesus. But in, in Philippians 2.14, Paul exhorts the Philippian church, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Why? He gives us the reason that you may shine as lights in a dark world. You see, when you, when you choose, when you choose to find contentment in that which makes the world discontent, when you choose to find satisfaction in things that don't satisfy, right? When you choose to thank God and turn to him when things don't go your way, you look different. Paul says you actually shine as lights. Later on in Philippians 4, he says, hey, I've learned. I've learned in whatever situation how to be content. I've learned how to be content, whether rich or poor. Have you learned this secret? Have you learned this secret? The secret of contentment. What is it? It's thankfulness. <laughs> it's trust. It's, a, it's walking in a thankful, obedient trust of God. And that's the secret of contentment. It's walking in daily dependence of the Lord. What do you find yourself grumbling over? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your relationships? Is it money? As we go about our lives, we'll, we'll run into situations that test us. We have a choice to make. We either trust or we grumble. You see, from the beginning of Exodus, the Lord has proved himself trustworthy. He's proved himself that he's in control. Exodus 1, all the way to present, he's over all created things. He allows trials to come so that we may grow to trust him more. Then we see, as we continue on in 15, we see this test. We're going to see this test come up three times in, the, in, in this passage. And it says right there, Therefore the Lord 
made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. It's a test from the Lord. Three days have passed, and they're without water. They will, will they listen or will they turn from him? The bitter water is a test. The people fail because they grumble. Moses has a different response. He cries out to the Lord instead of complaining. The Lord speaks to Moses saying, really two times, it's a parallel there in that verse that I just read. If you listen, right, if you listen and obey, then I will protect you and heal you. That we've seen, I mean, we see this throughout the scriptures, Obedience leads to blessing. Disobedience leads to cursing. He says, I'll heal you. I'll keep those diseases that I poured out on Egypt. I'll keep them away from you. Our God is a God who heals. So how does he provide? What is the provision here? In 25 and 27, we see. He says, Moses, there's a log. Throw it in that bitter water. Throw it in that disease-ridden water, and I'll heal it. He throws it in, and it becomes sweet to the taste. The people can now drink. The people are now satisfied. He allows the water to be healed. And then the truth, the truth from this passage, God gives it to us. I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your healer. Hey, we can trust. We can trust in the Lord who heals. He heals. Yes, he he heals physically. But he also heals spiritually. See, as I was reading that verse where he says, if you, then I, right? If you listen and obey, then I will do this. I'm going, I'm throwing my hands up. God, I can't. How can I obey? How can I listen to your word? How can I be obedient? I can't. The Israelites failed. They failed time and time again. The greatest man on earth, David, failed, right? Solomon failed. The disciples failed. We fail. So God, how is this possible? Well, you're the one who heals. And we need a healing. We need God to heal our broken hearts, our hard hearts, our rocky hearts. We need a spiritual healing. Have you trusted Jesus for this spiritual healing? He said, I didn't come. For those who are well, I came for the sick. I am the great physician. That's who he is. He can heal your dead heart today. Not only did God provide for them this sweet water, but then as we see as this, as this um, section ends, they came to Elam where there were 12 springs, 12 tribes, and 70 palm trees, 70 elders. It was sufficient. And they encamped there by the water. And God provided. So we, we asked the question, have the people learned to trust God in the wilderness? Well, let's continue and see. <laughs> let's look at chapter 16. I already gave it away. Man. We'll see in this next section, chapter 16, that we can trust the Lord who provides. 16.1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, 
which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. One month now. One month has passed since the Passover. Or one month in 10 days. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of, gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But then the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you boil, and all that is left over lay, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside the morning, till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you should gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in this place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I, bought, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Thanks. 
a, it's a good detail at the end. <laughs> so, the problem, yet again, right? They, now a month has passed and no food. They're running out of food. Their response, they grumble once again. This time bringing a charge against Moses. Have you brought us here to die? They wish they, they could have died in Egypt where there was abundance of meat and bread. Why didn't the Lord just kill us there? We would have been happy. Oh, how perspective changes things. Right? Just a few months earlier, they were crying out to the Lord, being beaten, having to, be, having to make bricks day by day by day. They were crying to the Lord. Once they were enslaved, now they're remembering the good old days of Egypt. Is this your story? Is this your story? Maybe you've been in, been in Christ a, a few months or a few years or 60 years. Do you look back and wish everything was like it used to be? This is, this is many times we, we run back to sin because of this. We remember that thrill of our old life. Those quick satisfactions that pass in the blink of an eye. I want to encourage you, believer, don't look back. Don't look back to that old way of life. You are living an abundant, eternally satisfying life right now. You are being deceived if you think your old way of life was better. Egypt was not better, but the people are being deceived into thinking it was. So they grumble yet again. No food. The test, we see this in verses 4 through 8. In verse 4, man, I'm expecting the Lord to say, my anger is going to rain out, rain, or just pour out on them. Instead, in verse 4, we see the Lord's grace on display. Instead of pouring out his anger on the people for grumbling, he decides to provide for them abundantly. Our God is a providing God. He loves to bless his children. He loves to pour out his provision on his children. So once again, will they pass this test that he's going to test them with? The test is simple, right? You picked up on it. The test is simple. Every single morning, there's going to be some bread on the ground. Go pick what you need. An omer each. An omer is a tenth of an omer. You know, like, that's what he said. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like a handful, right? Take a handful for each of the people in your household. Take it. Okay, do that every day. Okay, but on the sixth day, you need, to, you need to pick up enough for two days because the seventh day is a holy day for the Lord. It's a holy day of rest. It's called the Sabbath. We're going to see the Sabbath come up again in Exodus 20 in the, uh, in the Ten Commandments. So we'll, we'll kind of dive in there. But so this is the test. Hey, pick up daily what you need. Six-day pick up twice as much as you need. Do they pass? No, they don't pass. They, they fail. So, so they gather, right, each day. Some are, some are gathering what they need, but others gather too much, and they leave it till the next day. It, I mean, worms come in, and, and it stinks. Their house is stinky. He, they couldn't have, like, they couldn't have um, disguised this, right? If they did this, they, they were clearly disobedient because everybody knew, right? They're living around each other in these tents, and they're like, yeah, bro, you sinned. You didn't obey. You failed the test. So they did not pass the test. There's really three tests here. The test of bread, the test of rest, and the test of remembrance. Hey, 
Also, take this omer of manna and put it away so that you can remember and you'll remember that I am the Lord. The Sabbath is mentioned. We'll get there later. Um, But yeah, we see this test. And then we see the provision. This is incredible provision. Moses and Aaron instruct the people to come near and see the glory of the Lord. They see his glory in the cloud. It's a visible manifestation of God's holiness and majesty on display. And then God speaks to them. The next day, quail covered the camp. And there was a flake-like thing on the ground. They asked, what is it? What is it? This is where we get the word manna from. That's what manna means. What is it? So they named it, what, what is it? It was bread. It was provided by the Lord. They gathered enough for each day. It's showing that daily dependence upon the Lord. Are you going to walk in daily dependence? Are you going to trust that tomorrow this bread's going to be here? Do you have enough faith to trust that I'm going to do what I said I was going to do? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. This is how we live. We live in daily dependence upon the Lord to provide all of our needs. Again, we see some obey, some do not. And then God says in verse 28, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? The Lord provided manna every day. And it's really neat. In, in, 50, in 31, it said it tasted like honey. We go through so much honey at the house. That's like one of our favorite Condiments. I get it. It's, it's great. But think about what, what that's pointing them to. It's a foretaste of the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Right? Every day they're getting a taste of what's to come. Every day, Christians, we get a taste of what's to come. Dietrich Bonhoeffer we said we actually see it in one another when we represent Christ to one another. We get a taste of that in community. We get a taste of that as we're doing life together, as we're, as we're sharing our struggles, as we're sharing our trials. We get a taste of it when we point one another to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a, fate, it's a foretaste of the promised land. The Lord provided a day of rest. The Lord provided a memorial for them to look back once they got to the promised land. Every day they had to choose, will I grumble or will I trust? We have the, cha- the same choice today. Yet the truth that we see in this passage is that the Lord provides. The Lord provides 40 years of daily provision. This is incredible every day. I I hope I wouldn't grow tired of it. I know some of you love to eat like boiled chicken and and rice like every day and you're good with that, you know. I like a little variety, but I'm sure you could add some, some herbs or something to this and just... You know, shake it up a little bit. But the Lord provided every day for them. And then in Joshua 5, 10 and 12, it actually says, now they've crossed over and the manna ceased. The manna ceased. He gave them exactly what they needed for their time in the wilderness. A daily reminder to give thanks and trust instead of grumbling. What's really neat about this passage, God provides bread from heaven to the Israelites, to sustain them each and every day. In John 6, we're going to read a little bit more. In John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? He multiplies the bread and the fish so that they are provided for. What this does, it actually sparks a conversation between him and his disciples and everyone around, the Pharisees as well. And this this is what happens here. After feeding them, 
Jesus tells them the next day in John 26, 26, and 29, he calls the people to trust the one the Father has sent. And then the people, they immediately ask for a sign, and then he points them to the Israelites eating bread in the wilderness. He points them to here. And this is what it says in verses 32 to 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Of course they say this. If someone is going to provide you something that will last eternally, you ask them what it is. And that's what they do. Sir, give us. We, we want it. Give us this bread. They ask for this eternally satisfying bread. Jesus goes on and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look to the Son today and find eternal life. He is the bread from heaven that eternally satisfies. He gave up his life so that you may have life. On the cross, Jesus took our sin. Where, where God should have punished and poured out anger on the Israelites, where God should punish and pour out anger on humanity, he's actually looked to the Son and provided everything we need. Trust the Lord who provides. Trust the Lord who provides. Jesus on the cross took our sin. He died the death we deserve. He did not stay in the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was raised on the third day to show that he truly is the bread of life who's come to, to save us. He defeated sin. He defe defeated death on the cross and through his resurrection. And today, if you will look to the Son, you may have life. But you also may be like the Jews. You may be like the Israelites. Listen to what the Jews did. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life. Huh. The Jews grumbled. So did the Israelites when the bread from heaven was presented before them. How's your heart going to respond today? I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Isn't this a, a response that we see today? You worship a, a Jew from 2,000 years ago? Right? Did he even exist? What, a, a resurrected Jew? Yes. And this is why Jesus answered him, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What great assurance is that for the mission of God? We go, we sow the seed, right? We're faithful to sow. Let's go share the gospel. The Lord of the harvest is one who controls whether someone responds to that seed in faith and repentance. Let's trust him to respond to the seed, right? Respond in faith and obedience. He will bring about that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread 
that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. He sacrificed his life so that we may have life. Will you respond today? Our story continues. Maybe the people will trust now. Maybe the people will respond. Let's see what happens in 17, 1 to 7. All the congregation of the people moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Church, let's trust that the Lord is present. Let's trust that he is present. This is what they were doubting. God doesn't care. He's not present. He's, he's not with us. In this story, we do see a slight difference. Instead of grumbling, the people quarrel. Instead of the Lord testing, the people test the Lord. Yet one thing remains the same. The Lord provides. And he's trustworthy. The problem again, no water. The response, quarreling, right? They demand water from Moses. They accuse him of bringing them out to die. Moses tells them that they are, man, they're grumbling, questioning, quarreling against the Lord. They're testing the Lord. The test this time is, this time the people's quarreling is actually testing the Lord. This is not a good thing, right? Earlier we said it's for sanctification. This is doubt and rebellion. This is a hardening of hearts. The question in verse 7 shows this doubt. Is he actually with us? Is he with us or not? Does he care? It's the same response. If you remember this in, in Mark 4, the, the storm comes up on the disciples. Jesus is, is laying in the boat, and they wake him up. Jesus, Jesus, do you, do, do you care? Do you care that we're about to die? Of course he cares that you're about to die. He's going to provide for you. You just have to trust you just have to trust. One, one commentator said here that the test is that they're demanding God's provision, they're denying God's protection, and they're doubting God's presence. That's what they're doing. They're rebelling against God, yet the Lord in his grace and mercy and kindness, he provides yet again the provision. The Lord's not only present, says, I'm going to be on the rock. I'll be there before you. But he also provides abundantly for his people. He gives them water flowing freely from this rock. He tells Moses to go and strike the rock with the same staff that he used in Egypt. Water flows from the rock and the people are provided for once again. The truth, the Lord is present. He's present. He's present. He says, I'm going to go before you. I mean, he's been present the whole time in the, in the pillar and in the, or in the cloud and the fire. He's there. He says in verse 6, I'll stand before you. He cares and provides for all of our needs. He is so present that Jesus reminds us that he knows every, every hair on our head, the number of them, right? Some of us less, some of us more. 
He knows it. Do you question God's presence? God, are you really here in this trial? Are you really here in this testing? God, why do I, why do I continue to succumb to sin that I cry out to you to relieve me of? Are you there? How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? The Lord is there. He is present. And this is how we know our God has made his presence known in the sending of his son on earth. Jesus, again in Hebrews, he's called our great high priest who became like us, taking taking on flesh that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. Yet he was without sin. Where we grumble, where the Israelites grumble, Jesus fully trusted. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, it's interesting. Paul makes this connection back to here, and he says, actually, Christ is the rock. He's the rock that was with them throughout the wilderness journey. One commentator put it like this, the rock was Christ because like the rock, Christ was struck with divine judgment. Right? Instead of God striking the people, he tells Moses to strike the rock. Jesus was struck for us. The rock was Christ because it flowed With the water of life. He says, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. We'll be eternally satisfied, never thirsting again. Christ is the rock, and we can trust he provides, protects, and is present. As our our band comes up to, to sing this final song, we'll start where we began. How will you respond today when things don't go your way, when tests come? How will you respond? Brothers and sisters, we are in the wilderness. And we'll be there until Christ takes us home or until he returns. Trials and tests will come. They're guaranteed. It's part of the sanctification process. Every day you're given on this earth is a day to trust God and walk in dependence upon him to meet your needs. Every day is another day for us to share the good news by, yes, our words, but also how we respond to situations like that. What an incredible witness we can be, right? Just think about this. What an incredible witness we can be. It's so countercultural that when things come, trials, tests, when they come in our lives, and we respond in trust and obedience instead of grumbling and questioning like the world. When those come, let us shine as lights in a dark and wicked world. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for what we see in your word. Lord, you are so good. You've healed us through Christ. You have provided us with the bread of heaven. And Lord, you, you're, you're so good, Father. You're so good. Lord, we give you, we give you praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.